Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes. I'm your regular host, and with me is your regular co-host, Caleb Janks, from down in Waco, Texas. How are you doing tonight, Caleb? Good. Good. I feel like I... I feel like I should just assume the title of co-host. That's like co-pilot. That's well, like I'm I'm almost as important as you. It's just like I'm only important if if you die and uh, yeah, then you take over the controls and, and exactly re- yeah. Well, and really like the you okay. So co-host is the same as host. It's just that I'm introducing the two of us. So if you were to introduce the show, you would say, hi, I'm your host, Caleb Jenks. And with me tonight is my co- co-host is equal, isn't it? I mean, that's what okay, I always sure, figured. Sure. Yeah. Just like co-pilot. Yep. Is that? Well, no. no co-pilot. Absolutely. There's no, there's no hurt. There's no hurt feelings here at all. You can, <laughs> you're number one. I'm number two. There's no hurt I'll, feelings. I'll start saying uh, tonight. Uh, my name is Patrick Hayes. I am the co-host of the far superior Caleb Jenks down in Waco, Texas. <laughs> Caleb, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? Okay. So uh, with that, uh, we're a minute 30 in and hopefully this, this is coming on and, and people are going to start seeing this and, and joining us. Uh, we are talking about, can I just have church up in the mountains every weekend? So <clears throat> Caleb, what do you think? I'm going to hold back a little bit and let you talk for a second. And uh, I'll be happy to answer any of your questions or comments, but I'm not going to hijack the show uh, by starting off. I think I picked this one. Do you remember? Yeah, you, yeah, you did. This was mine. It's kind of okay. funny because we were running through it. I was like, oh, sure. Why not? And then I was like, wait, <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> I actually told my wife earlier, I was like, of all the episodes, this one I put zero thought into, and that's just fine because I don't know what I would think about anyways. Sure. But no, it's um, it's kind of funny because I used to live in Colorado, so Church in the Mountains would have been something that you do down here. There's Every once in a while, you find an anthill, so there's no there's no such thing as mountains in Texas. There's not really much in the way of mountains. But so. I guess Church in the Wilderness, you could have Church in, the, in, the, in, your, cow, in your backyard or your cow pasture down here. Okay, so <clears throat> so let's let's start off by, by defining our terms. Okay, what what I mean by this is, I see it as an excuse by uh, a lot of liberal nonsensical Christians who try to redefine terms and basically uh, give themselves an excuse for not getting together with other believers. So they are not corporately worshiping with other believers. And keep in mind, I I feel like we don't even need to say this, but we have to have a caveat before we go any further. Neither Caleb nor I are saying that your church needs to meet in a church building. You can you can hold your church service in homes. You can hold your church service in caves. Those have been done by very successful, powerful Christian groups throughout centuries. We're not saying it has to be in a building with a steeple and bells. That, that's not what we're saying. Okay. And, and Caleb, please correct me, you know, if you feel something uh, differently th- than what I just said. But what I'm saying is that <clears throat> you hanging out by yourself in the mountains or with a friend going hiking, that is not in any way, the definition found in the Bible for church, corporate worship with other Christians. Would you agree? Tell me what you're thinking. Yeah, I, I, I'm just hoping we're not going to offend John the Baptist here, or I mean, John, the John the Revelator here. <laughs> he, he seemed to have, he was kind of off on his own, but that was actually really a, a form of persecution. So it's almost like a self, uh, self-inflicted persecution when we decide to isolate ourselves from God's people. Wonderful. I guess. I guess you thought I was gonna. I thought have, I was gonna have a longer thought. So yeah, we ha- I, apparently we have uh, our we have our captions on 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 here. It's we'll see how this works out. I'm not sure how this got turned on. I don't know if you have to pay extra for this service or not. But 
Well, I guarantee you the people that are going to be listening to us later on on uh, Apple or Google or Spotify are not going to care about the captions. So I don't know if we need to worry about those, you know, uh, just yet. Um, but <clears throat> so if you had experience with uh, church in the mountains type of a ideology, have you had ever known anybody that that really did that or was kind of of this mindset of of they didn't want church, didn't need church for whatever the reason. I, I think it would be interesting to go over some of those reasons, but have you ever experienced that? Okay. Yourself? So the only thing I've ever experienced is, you know, talking to some, um, you know, talking to somebody who basically doesn't want to go to church and they're writing it off as an excuse and saying, Oh, I have church in the mountains. They go, you know, they go hiking every weekend. Every weekend. And, and, Wait, we just got an echo. It just started coming in. Okay. Okay. It's already been fixed. Don't worry about it. So I, I've always heard of people, you know, using that as an excuse. They're like, oh, I, I, I have church in the mountains every weekend. Oh, really? What's that like? Well, I go fishing. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Or I go hiking right. or I go camping or I got, you know, and it's like, that's not what church is. If you want to say that you enjoy being outdoors, that's fine. And if you want to say you enjoy God's creation, that's fine. But stop redefining terms and making it sound like no matter what you do on Sunday, that's church. Because it's not. Okay, church, a, a local church has offices. The Bible talks about it. There's pastors, there's deacons, there's elders. The church has responsibilities. The, the, the church, uh, members of the church have uh, responsibilities and privileges. It talks about how we are supposed to gather together. We're supposed to assemble, meaning everyone in that local body gets together in one location for a purpose. And I think the idea of this title, and keep in mind, we put these titles together months ago. So what what I was thinking when I went over this was Christians making excuses for not wanting to be in a local body. And can I tell you why I think people do that? They don't want any accountability. Because the fact is, I am accountable to the people that go I go to church with. When they see me, they can get a reading on how I'm doing. They can ask me how I'm doing. They can they can uh, show concern. They can ask questions. They can uh, pray with me if if I'm going through a hard time. Okay, they we can. That is where I can get filled. That is where I can go to get better. That is where I can go to learn about God. That is where I can go to learn underneath somebody that has put time and energy into studying prayerfully something about the Bible, and they're going to give that to me. And that the Bible literally says that, that they are going to feed me. Okay, that's something that I that I need. So <clears throat> I think the whole idea of this topic is just to pop that little balloon of all the people that say, oh yeah, you know, I go fishing every weekend and that's church for me. No, it's not. Stop saying that. If that's church, then I'm an astronaut. Okay, just because you use a term doesn't make it so. Words have meaning. Stop using church incorrectly. You sound stupid, and I'm sick of hearing it. Bless just their a, just, heart. <laughs> just a word to the wise. Patrick told me he was in a grouchy mood tonight. So, yeah, I we'll, see, we'll see if we can get through the next 50 minutes tonight. of this. Yeah, if I can make it through without cursing, I'm going to count it in the wind column. <laughs> Expect no spiritual nourishment from me whatsoever. So you better direct the conversation in, in the in the right direction. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that that you brought up the idea of maybe the number one or your the first thing that comes to your mind as far as why somebody would choose to stay away from church and go off hide in the woods is because they don't want any accountability, and that is so I have firsthand experience with this subject because I I grew up out of church doing a home church some of the time, no church some of the time, most of the time. Um, there was very, very, very few times that we had actually regular dedicated times to, you know, to actually reading God's words together as a family or with other, with other Christians. 
And I saw the danger in that. And when my wife and I got married, I told her, no matter what, I don't care how much I get out of it. We're going to be in church every Sunday. I want to make sure that we're in church every Sunday. And I said, the main reason for that is because I want the accountability. So Hmm. that is what I see as the danger behind not having that is, well, a lot of us, I mean, I think you and I probably both had had our fair share of disappointment in church Mm-hmm. disappointment in looking around and seeing the difference between God's word and then what we see actually happening around us and, and noticing that difference. And it's, it's easy to get disillusioned and end up really high minded and saying, Hey, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm just going to go off on my own and, and I'm going to be way holier than what I see in church. I can't find any church. It's good enough for me, you know, whatever the, whatever the motivations are. So it may actually come out as originally a, as a good intention of not wanting to get drugged down by, um, the mediocrity that we see around us in the church and wanting to live a life that's more dedicated to God. But that can lead into this dangerous trap of, of thinking that thinking that we're somehow okay. And we're off on our own. We don't need anybody else. And next thing you know, we turn into these uh, reckless monsters that start hurting everybody around us, everything around us. And I've seen it. I, I knew a lot of other, a lot of other, you know, homeschool family, Christian families that were uh, home church and, too good to go to church on Sunday kind of a thing. And I saw the dangers where you can end up, you know, way off your rocker and not have any idea. And I may be off my rocker, but at least I have to show up and be civil at least one day of the week <laughs> at church. That's a great point, you know, because, and, and I, and I, and I should say this, I don't ever want anyone to believe what Caleb and I tell you on this podcast ever. I want everyone to question everything we say. I want you to go to your Bible. I want you to find answers there. And I want you to prove us wrong whenever you can. Okay. That is, that is the challenge that everyone needs to accept if they're going to listen to this uh, Bible Thumper podcast, because we're just two guys that love the Bible and love God. And and we're doing our best to learn the Bible and, and talk about it. And we enjoy doing it. You know, but with that being said, um, it is in church where my beliefs are challenged. Okay, my beliefs are not challenged in my home. My home is going to often be an echo chamber. Now, once in a while, my wife and I will talk about things and we'll disagree about stuff in the Bible and we'll talk it out. You know, and I certainly enjoy that and, and encourage Wait, that. you and your wife disagree uh-huh. on things sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. here's a verse I have for you. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked. It says, "How can two walk together unless they be agreed?" Uh-huh. All right. So you might need to you might need to rethink this whole marriage thing because Consider, and church yeah. too. Because if there's people at church you disagree with, I've heard those scriptures quoted. Get when, out of when here. People Come have on. a disagreement in church. They're like, "Well, how can two walk together unless they be agreed?" And so, therefore, I don't agree with him. So I'm going to leave church. Or <laughs> I can't be unequally yoked with these non-believers because they don't believe the way I believe. <laughs> You know, I don't doubt that. I mean, I really don't. People seem to go, people, why do so many Christians love the extremes? You know, and this is coming from me. So I understand, you know, how ridiculous <laughs> that might sound to some of you. But seriously, you know, I, I guess I don't get it. There are so many things that um, it, it's easy to disagree on. You know, people that run after them and try to find a problem with them. You know, it it doesn't make sense to me. You know, we uh, so last week we talked about predestination versus free will. And I saw someone that commented after our conversation sometime through the week that that clearly listened to the podcast. And he said, nope, you guys are wrong. God planned out uh, purposely every disease, every war, every event for his glory and his purpose. And so he clearly, you know, very much disagreed with the, the, the idea that we kind of expressed. Well, that's great. I, I thought it was great that that guy made that comment. I think it's great that he listened to the podcast. I hope he comes back and listens every time. I don't want him to stop coming. I would love to have a conversation with that guy. There's no reason for me because of one disagreement, you know, to run away from uh, a church or a podcast or a friend or family member or, or any of these things, you know, <clears throat> With that being said, it is in church where I oftentimes get my beliefs challenged. And and I'll tell you this, Caleb, and you tell me if, if you think this is crazy. More specifically than church, for me, it's in Sunday school. I love 
the Sunday school hour. I'm a big fan of that. I know it's not popular in a lot of churches, but I love the time when we can sit around a table and open up our Bible and we can study the Bible together. We can ask questions. We can have a dialogue and we can bring up different things and, you know, and, and really get into it. And my, I like that because it, it's the opportunity uh, or that's the time when we're given the opportunity to ask questions, to challenge each other's beliefs. And, and that's OK. Whereas during the, you know, what we might call the sermon or the, you know, the, uh, the you know, kind of the teaching time that a lot of church has. Uh, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the message that the pastor or the preacher of the day prepared. And that's great. And he can still challenge me. But I really enjoy the time where we can, you know, kind of go back and forth and try to try to figure out the Bible together. And um, I only get that in a church where there is corporate worship going on. I'm around other brothers and sisters, you know, and we get to get in the word. When I'm hiking off in the woods with my kids, I'm enjoying nature and that's great, but I don't know about you. I'm not really thinking about God a whole lot. I'm certainly not really singing to him. I'm not praying to him much. I'm mostly, you know, trying to keep track of all my kids and make sure that I have them all, make sure there's sunscreen applied wherever it needs to be. You know, um, I'm, I'm enjoying God's creation, but it is so different from the idea of church. So Caleb, tell me what some, uh, what, what's a downfall that you saw in not having a regular church attendance uh, as a kid? You talked about how you didn't really have um, regularity. Uh, t- tell me what you, what you see now as far as what's, what's the benefit? Uh, what did you see that you were missing uh, from when you were younger? So if you think about the, the two greatest commandments, Jesus was asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? The scribes and Pharisees asked him. Sure. And he said, and he love, said uh, love Lord drink your God. regular coffee. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, so he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. And then he said that there was, he went on to the, the second commandment, which mm-hmm. is to love your, your neighbor as yourself. And I find it to be interesting with a lot of, a lot of, Christians that I go to church with or that I've seen in church, however much I may disagree with them on theology or practice of this or that or holiness or whatever it might be, um, I generally find the conversations at church to be loving, encouraging, lifting each other up, and in circles of people that were more isolationist where they were not going to go to church because they were too good for church for whatever reason, it tends to be more negative, bashing, and, um, and it's, when I think about if you go isolate yourself off from, and you cut yourself off from the body and that is part of, I mean, the body of Christ is part of the lifeblood that flows through us as we learn to love one another, then you, you really don't ever have a chance. I mean, how can you, if you're isolated up in the mountains as a hermit, so to speak, even spiritually, I mean, if you just isolate yourself. How can you ever put into practice the idea of being able to bear one another's burdens and, and love your neighbor as yourself? And and those are it's really interesting because when God put us here, He clearly put us here knowing that relationships weren't always going to be friendly. Relationships weren't always going to be mm-hmm. easy. We're going to have friends that sometimes we don't necessarily even like them that much. I mean, quite frankly, there's days that I wake up and I, I don't even want to be in the same room as myself. But sometimes there's some character and some uh, there's definitely can be some growth by us submitting ourselves one to another and learning to work together and and um, being able to be challenged by somebody that we disagree with. And I, I find that you can become extremely intolerant when you are cut off from everybody that doesn't think exactly the way that you are. You get yourself in this little echo chamber and you can become extremely intolerant of really, really good people that actually have have values that you should be learning from, values that should be rubbing off on you. And instead, you're over there, you know, thumbing your nose at them because you're, you're better than them because they don't have this belief or that belief. And that's really what I have found is that sometimes by us learning to humble ourselves and submit to imperfect people as brothers and sisters in Christ and have that accountability come from people that aren't perfect, that God can use it to make us more perfect or more like him, as opposed to us just cutting it off. So that was, I, I would say the biggest, the biggest thing that I would say was the negative. And there's, there's other things for sure, but, um, 
that was the biggest, most practical thing that I would say to somebody is you can't, you know, the Bible says, how can you love, uh, how can you love God who you can't see if you don't love your neighbor who you can see? Actually, mm-hmm. I, I think I worded that backward. But anyways, <laughs> if you, if you can't love your neighbor who you can see, how can you love God or your brother who you can't see? How can, how can, how can you love God who you can't see? I should look the scripture up before I try to butcher yeah. it 10 more times here. But anyways. I don't think that's in the Bible. I don't know if I've ever come across that one. I know okay, that's a song here. lyric. I've heard that in a song. Um, there's a uh, bluegrass song that uh, says, uh, um, "You, you, you don't. Uh, if you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love God." Anyway, uh, I was okay, going to say, you, uh, "You got it. Okay. You got a verse." Well, um, yeah, I, I, I butchered it pretty bad. Okay, All yo, right. first, it's almost completely different. <laughs> um first john 4 20 says if a man say i love god and hateth his brother he is a liar yet no one can claim to love god who hates his brother we cannot love the unseen god when we hate the brother who is in god's image and i think that if you go um i grew up reading niv and so Mm -hmm. i believe the niv words it a little bit closer to the my original quote but anyways it's so frustrating i i memorized I memorized about half of Genesis in the NIV, and then I tried to go back through and memorize it in King James Version, and it yeah, it's it's, it's messed me up so bad. Yeah. Oh, I bet that nearly inspired version is uh, <laughs> a number on anybody that reads it. Hey, so uh, I was going to bring up a Bible verse uh, that went along with what you were talking about about having you know people hold you accountable. That I forget where the verse is. Maybe you can recall the book, but it's a famous verse that talks about you know, how iron sharpeneth itself, you know, so you only need to be one person by yourself in the mountains. And, you know, that there's that, I mean, we all remember how you can take a knife and use it to sharpen itself. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about knives, you know, so, and, and, and that's really the thing is when I'm around other people, I think I'm going to be a healthier, more rounded Christian. It seems like have, Okay, so one of my favorite jokes with with Caleb is when we're talking about like crazy, you know, off the wall weirdo cults. And we, you know, I always add the the phrase, you know, yep, they're about ready to start purchasing some razor wire, you know, <laughs> it's like because you, you always have to isolate yourself and then surround the compound with razor wire like that's just one of the steps sooner or later. You know, but that never happens until they isolate themselves and they seem to go off, you know, in the middle of nowhere and don't let anyone else in and, you know, and, and become this uh, this cloistered, uh, you know, society. And um, that 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 for me uh, has has never been healthy. You know, what's what's best for me is to be in regular contact with different Christians who love me and want the best for me. And uh, they are able to call me out when I'm off on a weird path, uh, thinking about, you know, something foolish or going down a road that's just silly and unbiblical. They can, you know, rein me back in and and get me uh, grounded in the Bible again. So uh, let me just ask if anyone can throw out a question for us or let's get our audience involved. We have at least a couple people listening in. Uh, Does anyone have any comments uh, or ideas or questions about just having church up in the mountains every weekend? Or uh, or is this conversation even making any sense to anybody? Yeah, so I actually have thought about doing a podcast at some point just about some of the crazy, when you read through church history, as far as some mm-hmm. of the things that have happened in, in history where Christians have done some really, really stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. And you kind of wonder where did they get so far off that this seemed like this was a good idea. Um, there's I listen to a radio show sometimes, and it's um, it is it, it, uh, well like it's it's a radio show down here. It's called uh, Mason's Morons, and they talk about these criminals that would just do stupid things. And uh-huh. every morning they go through a list of like ten criminals that have done really stupid things. And I, I keep thinking, man, if you look through church history, you could find a lot of good, a lot of good Christians, church church going Christians that would give them a run for their money with stupidity and sometimes sometimes i think that we end up off in the weeds so bad if we're not if we don't have each other there to help help us keep on the straight and narrow i mean we can i know obviously i mean i i look at it and i would say you can be saved you can you can go to heaven you can become a christian outside of church that's not Mm -hmm. what we're that's not really what we're talking about but we're talking about as far as the benefits of actually being a christian and what it means to actually be a part of the church 
and why we are supposed to, why, why does the Bible say not to forsake the gathering together and breaking bread? Why does it say to submit ourselves one to another? And those are things where, like I said, God knew when he, when he designed it, us, not only did he design us for a relationship with him, but for a relationship with each other. And he knew that there was going to be conflict. He knew we were going to want to kill each other. Sometimes he knew we were going to want to steal each other's stuff. Mm-hmm. He knew that we were going to be, you know, have all these evil tendencies and yet he still created us anyways and, and gave us this, this opportunity to work together and, and to serve. And so I think that this comes almost, well, in, in Jesus's words, it was second only to loving God is loving each other. And it's pretty impossible to love each other when we just isolate it, isolate ourselves. So I was going to just, I was going to tell a couple of a um, couple of thoughts that I had on on this since I kind of had have some experience with it. Yeah, love and it this is not to this is not to step on any any toes. I have friends that watch this, and so some of these stories are going to come from from yeah, friends. But I'm not going to yeah, <laughs> not going to name your, anyone. Pull your feet in. But there's um, there are there's some common sense that goes a long ways in, in the way that we relate to each other and the way that we relate to our families, our wives, our children. And sometimes we can get so off the rails emotionally tied up in this, the, the, our, our faith, which is, it's good to have faith. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I've, I've known people that their faith took them so far out of the way where, where they missed so many red flags where God could have stopped them and saved them from trouble. If they would have just been in a situation where somebody would have been like, Hey bro, what's up? Yeah. You know, what are you doing out there? So, um, and of course this, this is a, an extreme version of, of where this can go, but I think that it would, I think that it would uh, ring true to a lot of people and they could probably um, relate to it. So I had s- some friends that were, they took a Bible verse the, the father in the family took a Bible verse where it talks about fleeing to the mountains. And so he took his family and he fled to the mountains. Well, it wasn't really mountains, but he got completely out of Dodge and he was, they were home church out in the middle of nowhere, isolated on a farm. Just that one family, just the one family, nobody else. And uh, he took that and, one verse as God speaking directly to him. There was, I think there was some conflicts and some individuals that he, that he had some conflict with and, um, and he was actually, he lived right down the road from, from where I did when we were growing up. And so there were some conflicts there. And of course the city was growing and, and he was, he was looking at some of these end times verses that talk about, you know, fleeing to the mountains. So he took his Mm -hmm. family and he decided to flee from the wrath that was to come by living in the city. And so they did home church and, um, along the way no, no fellowship. Um, every once in a while we would, we would see them. We remained friends over the years, no fellowship. And along the way, there was times where there was things that came up health wise with, with the children. And at one point there was a child that uh, was born and was malnourished. I'm not sure what, what the deal was. Maybe the mother's production was down. If I remember right. And the, and the child was malnourished. Well, um, this, this, the father and the family felt like God spoke to him that they were supposed to give her some corn syrup at one point. And so they gave her some water and corn syrup and it immediately revived her. Like she was, she, she was way better, I think because of the, probably the blood sugar spike. And so sure. they continued feeding this baby water and, um, corn syrup for a long time. Like regularly? Regularly. Wow. And eventually um, the baby ended up so sick that they were praying for the baby that it wasn't going to die and still following, you know, what seemed like the wisdom that he had from God. And, and, um, eventually they, they did take the baby to the hospital, but it, it seemed like it was too late. They lost the baby. They ended up investigated for, um, you know, from the state for neglect or whatever. Neglect. Sure. And all of this was done in a, in a situation where I believe if there would have been brothers in the church that they were praying with, if they would have been a part of a church, somebody would have said, you know, you need to take the baby to the doctor or you need sure. to, or, or maybe even not take it to the doctor, but Hey, it can't live on corn syrup and water or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it would it's have not been. a honeybee. And so somewhere along the line that, that, that little girl could be alive today. So that's kind of a worst sure. case scenario, but along the way, there was other things that happened in that family. And I'm not going to go into the other details, but there, you know, I knew there's other things that happened where it was like, man, if there would have been the accountability of being in a church in the city where, you know, all these hypocrites live that you don't like, and you're trying to get away from, maybe your children wouldn't have had to go through this and experience that because of, you know, the the fact that they grew up with no friends and whatever. So that's, you know, that's an example of, 
uh, kind of an extreme example, but it's, it's really true that we do need each other. And sometimes we can end up so far off, um, you know, so far off of kind of the mainstream beaten path of, of general wisdom. And so when God says that we are the iron that sharpens iron, it doesn't mean that he thinks that somebody else that's with us is perfect. We don't, it doesn't have to be perfect iron to sharpen the iron, but sometimes we need somebody to whack us over the head with a two by four and say, Hey, wake up. You're, you're way off left field. And, and sometimes I will say, I can say this for sure. Sometimes accountability is not fun. Sometimes oh, yeah. we have somebody there telling us something that we do not want to hear, but we need to hear it anyways. And so I think that, I think that a lot of times that is, you know, the, the, one of the main benefits is accountability. And I think there's some other things, but I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on, on any of that. Well, no, you know, <clears throat> what I was hearing the whole time you were explaining that and before when you were sharing, it sounds like God knew what he was doing when he set up a church. And a church was, you know, a group of believers that would come together and worship God together. They were a group that would meet regularly. They were a group that was part of each other's lives. They were a group that would help each other when they fell on hard times. But every instance of a church in the Bible is a group. I mean, a big one or a small one and where they meet doesn't matter, but it was always a group. And uh, whether you want to believe that the church is the, you know, worldwide universal invisible church, which constitutes every believer, or whether you want to believe it's a local church, like we've talked about before, it's always a group. And, you know, that is, you know, that's just what kept screaming to me is God knew what he was talking about when he set this thing up. We need each other. We have to have each other. We're good for each other. And have you ever noticed how much of the New Testament is written to the churches about how to get along with each other, how to resolve conflict with one another? Okay, well, how does that work if you're having church up in the mountains by yourself while you're fishing in a pond? Okay, that, you know, you don't need to know uh, human relations and, and, and conflict resolution like the Bible talks about in Matthew 18. None of that is important. Uh, it only works uh, when there's a group. Okay, so we had a question here from uh, Josh who said, how would, uh, how would you define having church? And the follow-up was, what constitutes a true church? So, Caleb, what are your thoughts on that as far as how would you define having church? Well, I'd say having church of what we think of it now and, and what the Bible is referring to when it talks about the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with the Bible. Totally... Let's just go with the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be two totally separate things. But when in the, in the, er, in the early church, it talks about the meeting together and them gathering together and, and praying and fasting together. And um, so I would say, as far as the definition of church, I disagree with Patrick on one thing. He said it doesn't have to have a steeple and a bell. I'll, I'll agree with the steeple thing, but the bell, you got to have a bell, man. You've I mean, got to have some that bells. Bell, what are you that's really about? <laughs> <laughs> No. So there can be a church that churches that take form in, in all different sizes and variations. Some are home churches, some meet in a uh -huh. field, some meet in a huge megachurch building. I tend to think that we should be the salt of the earth and that if you get too much salt in one spot, that it tends to be a little unsavory. <laughs> You know, and so I tend to kind of be more along. I, I, I like smaller churches where you actually know everybody in the church. I like the idea of us being more effective in that way and not so much money getting absorbed by these, you know, multimillion dollar uh, organizations that just can suck, you know, your resources out without being that effective. But that's my personal opinion. And I think God works through various different sizes and types and whatever. The biggest thing that I would say when I think of church is is an organization of like-minded or, or not believers. Patrick tends to think that you should all be pretty like-minded. You mentioned at one point about how that it's pretty hard to have fellowship when you're all fighting over doctrine and stuff. And I think that's true. I actually really enjoy being a part of a non-denominational, pretty diverse church where people really have a lot of different different beliefs and doctrine and whatnot. I, I really enjoy that. I think it's challenging. So there's, there's of course, differences there. Um, I, I probably would, I would probably find almost as many, if I went to a Baptist church, I would probably find almost as many differences in belief and doctrine in the Baptist church, because I'm pretty sure that you are not on the same page as everybody else in your church. But Well, you know, uh, and let me make a quick mention of that, because I have never been in a church where everyone really agreed much on anything. I think a lot of times people just avoid asking questions or getting into it. But no matter what church you go to, people hold different beliefs 
on different subjects, whether they're brought up or discussed or whether that contention or disagreement is encouraged or discouraged, you know, might be different. But I mean, you know, Caleb, I've been to your church down in Texas. I'm assuming you're still going to the same one that I visited, right? You know, I've seen all the people in your pews. You know, I guarantee you there are different beliefs there. You know, my church, it's funny. My church is made up of uh, families that have come from every walk of life. There are people that came from Catholicism and Lutheranism. And the church was actually started by, oh, I forget what it was called. I think it's called the Church of God but I don't remember that's, that's, that's a group that has some distinctive beliefs and I don't remember what they are, even though I've had the conversation before, you know, I'm a, I'm a very strong independent Baptist. The church that I go to is actually Southern Baptist, you know, so there are a lot of, you know, uh, 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 differences, you know, in, in the, whatever church you go to. And I really don't see a problem with it. There's honestly only one belief that I think is imperative. We all have to believe that we get saved by faith, uh, 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 by grace, uh, it is by, uh, faith you are safe. It is by grace you are safe through faith and that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay. So it is. The I'm glad you of, finally got that yeah, out since yeah, that's the most the, important belief. I know it's the most important verse in the Bible. Or the if Joe, Bi- if Joe Biden needs a running mate, I'll give him your number. Yeah. If he needs a uh, speech therapist, just send him my way. I can improve him by about 800%. Okay. So that's Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. I think so long as we all are in agreement as to how we get saved and go to heaven, I think for from there, we can move on. If our second belief is that the Bible was written by God and it is the final authority, I think we're, we pretty much, it's like, great, let's start a church. Those two beliefs, right. good enough. We can argue about the rest, but at least we believe that we get saved through the work that Jesus did. We have faith in him and we believe that the Bible is our sole authority. I think we can move, you know, move forward from there. Okay, so let me try to answer this question and then, Caleb, I'm going to give you another one. Uh, so, uh, what constitutes a true church? How would you define having church? So I think the true church was as simple as a group of believers that would meet corporately for the purpose of worshiping God and growing closer to God. I think that's as simple as it was. It was a group of people that all wanted to be a part of each other's lives. They wanted, they loved God. They wanted to worship God and they wanted to do that together so that they could have that support the iron could sharpen the iron. The threefold cord would not be easily broken. Excuse me. So I I think that's as simple as it was, you know, and what constitutes a true church? Uh, Again, I think it's just a group of believers that love each other and love God and meet together in order to carry out those two purposes. So fulfilling the great commandments, number one and two. You know, beyond that, we could try to start adding, you know, details to that. But if you can get a group of people that meet together somewhat regularly, okay, how often? I don't know. We could argue about that. I don't think the Bible is that clear on it, but tries to get together and meet somewhat regularly for the purpose of loving one another and loving God together. I, I think you got. I think you got yourself a church. You know, if you have uh, a leadership rise up where you uh, someone feels called to lead, and the people are behind that person, you could call them. You know, the preacher or the pastor. Uh, if that uh, preacher or pastor is able to have a deacon or an elder, those are certainly. Uh, positions that are talked about in the Bible, whether you want to go that route or not, or whether you're big enough to do that, you know, that all remains to be seen. But none of that happens unless you have a group of people that love each other and love God and want to do it together. So I think it's that simple. Okay, so Caleb, um, we have another question. Before yeah, you no, go into the, next, the yeah. other question, what do you got? Oh, so I had only made a part way through my answer, and I probably got off on a rabbit trail talking about the differences and how we can have differences. But um, the so this is what I would one of the things that I would look for the most in a church, and this would be if I was church shopping or if I was thinking about who I would consider as a brother or sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting that Jesus constantly refers to the church as as his bride, yep. and what I would say. If you look through the Ten Commandments, if you look through the, the Bible over and over and over again, God is constantly looking for a people that don't divide their attention between him and somebody else, him and something else. Mm-hmm. And so having being linked together with other believers that are that you can look at them and without question, you know where they cast their anchor. You know that they 
belong to God, that they're set apart as his bride, that they're not cheating. You know, they don't have somebody else on the side. They're not living for themselves. And I know, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. I know people that are in denominations that are pretty far off doctrinally, but I know people that are in some of these denominations where I would look at it and be, I would kind of cringe if I was to think of joining their church. But there's some of them that I see as very, very devoted to God. They are wholeheartedly set apart as the bride of Christ, where they look at him as, you know, as, as they're, they, they have the type of commitment that I like to see in a Christian. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty obvious when you see somebody that's kind of loose in a marriage, you can look at them and you can say, Hey, you know, she's flirting with other people or she's, you know, running around. You see that. And you see that in Christianity too. And I don't think that God looks at it much different. We all, we can, we can have kind of a loose standard as far as holiness or, or what we think of in Christianity. But when, when it gets to a marriage, you see somebody running around and you're like, Oh, that, you know, we can all scoff at that. Even in our fallen society that we're in, that still doesn't look right or kosher. Mm -hmm. But yet with Christians, there's a lot of Christians that I would say, I really wouldn't want to be in a church with people that are just go to church on Sunday kind of Christians that really don't live for God the rest of the week. So I would say in my, in my opinion, and this is, this is my opinion, but one of the things that I really look for isn't where somebody falls doctrinally this way or that way, or how much we agree on stuff, but finding a people and, and a group of, a group of people that can meet together regularly where you're, where you're, where you can look at each other and you know, and you feel confident that, well, number one, you're born again believers, but that they are really committed to Jesus and that they are, that you can unmistakably see that they are the bride of Christ. So I would say the true church, that's what God is looking for when he returns. If you look at what, what Jesus says, it's going to be looking for is a spotless, pure, a pure spotless, you know, no blemish bride. And really we can't be perfect, but we can be perfect in our dedication and in our loyalty to God to where there's no, there's no mistaking that we are his. So I I would say that that would probably be the clearest, clearest thing that I could see that Jesus says he's going to look for at the end of, of the age is a, you know, a spotless bride. So that, that to me is what really makes up the true church is a spotless bride. Everything else is kind of up for grabs. Peripheral. Okay. So, uh, Johnny asked a question here. Uh, what do y'all think of a home church? Is there a, uh, a benefit in a home church? Okay. So, you know, I'd like to talk about this because my, uh, wife and I have, uh, talked about this several times and, Honestly, the one of the main reasons that we are in a church that meets on Sunday morning in a church building is for our kids, because keep in mind, we have been in many different types of fellowships over the years, and we have done a home church, and I've done home churches at other people's homes. I've done them in my homes. And to be honest with you, I really enjoy a home fellowship. I love a small group of, you know, however many families, maybe four, eight or 10 families that can get together and worship God uh, together in a home. I, I love that. And there are a lot of people who have never tried it. And a lot of people I think are scared off by it simply because it's different than what the mainstream is doing. And I understand that. But you do have to understand that you didn't really have the big church building that you all met at on a Sunday built by the church people. That didn't come about until about 800 to 1000 A.D. For the first 750, 800 years after Christ, that's the only place that churches met was in homes. And if you read the Bible all the way through to the end and you read about uh, eschatology and the end times, What you find out is that that's where they're going to meet again. And the reason in the end is the same reason in the beginning, which is going to be persecution. So what you're going to find out is that the church is going to be persecuted more and more as the years go on and we get closer and closer to what we would call the biblical end times. And Christianity, once again, true Christianity is going to have to go underground. And that's already happened in in many countries. I had a friend of mine who uh, she was a missionary over in China. And all she did all day, every day was smuggle Bibles into China for the underground church. 
And in China, there are two churches. There's one that is local, that is public, and you can go to. There are church buildings, but there are government operatives that are in the church, that run the church, that spy on the church, that know everything that's going on. They keep track of who shows up and take attendance and, and the whole thing. And then there is what is called the true church over in China, which is underground, meets in secret, is often persecuted, and you know those are the meetings that get broken up and they steal their Bibles and they arrest people and beat people and kill people. And, and, and all kinds of terrible things. So th this underground church and this home church already exists around the world. It will exist in this country again as America starts to persecute uh, Christians the, the longer this goes on. But if I had my way and I could do anything, I would meet in our home church on Friday nights, okay, which would be uh, what we would call Arab Shabbat, you know, we could have a meal together and then we would do a home fellowship where we would probably alternate different homes, you know, depending on the number of families that were with us. We would probably alternate as far as having a teacher. So it would be uh, much more in the style of uh, the way the Jews met in temple during the time of Christ, where uh, different leaders of the family would take turns, you know, teaching the Bible. And uh, we would kind of go along that route. And one of the, you know, one of the things that we would really enjoy is having our entire weekend, you know, so we can really take the day off on Saturday and relax. And, and my wife and I could enjoy each other and enjoy the farm. And then, you know, on Sunday, we usually use it as a work day, you know, and I hate that I have to go to church on Sunday mornings because it really gets in the way of the day that we dedicate to working around the house and, and doing projects around the house, which we really enjoy doing, you know, so my dream would be a home fellowship on a Friday night, you know, and I even have some friends in this town where they're like, man, if we didn't have kids, we would be there, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's a nice time. And and if you don't want to try a home church, that's fine. If if you feel God wants you where you are in your church, that's good. Stay there, you know, but just understand something might come up in your life. Something might change. Uh, you, you know, your church might fall apart. That happens. Well, you know, uh, the, the, the pastor could do something immoral or one of the people, the, the church secretary could steal all the money and the, the bank forecloses on the building. These things happen. Crazy things happen. And if that ever does, just remember, God's with you. God loves you. God loves all the Christians there. And you can still make the thing work, even if it's a little unorthodox. So for me, I, I really like the home church model. I've had very good experiences with it. Um, it is different. You know, there are a couple good books that you can read on it to kind of help you navigate some of the weirdness and the pitfalls and the different things. And the only thing that I'll that I'll add to this and I'll shut up and, and Caleb, you can take over here, is that when a home fellowship grows to a, a certain number, the best thing that home church can do is split into two, because usually people kind of join the home church for they like the closeness they like being knowing the names of all the members and the names of the children and praying specifically for the people in the congregation that they love and then it grows and they're like wow we really got a good thing going here let's all chip in and and rent a space in a strip mall and start a you know start a church and then all of a sudden they they grow up to 50 or 100 people and they're like, man, we don't like this anymore. And, and people leave and they start another home church. So one thing that, you know, I've had suggested to me is when you're when your home church grows to beyond 25, 30 people, you know, figure out who is feels like they're being called by God to start another work and just split the thing you know, right in half or, or, you know, one or two families go off and start a new one and the, and the one group can support the other to try to help them, you know, win some new families and, and get them going. And, and I, 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 it can be a wonderful experience. It can also be a train wreck. Okay. Just like the church you're in now. Okay. And the next church you go to visit, it can be a wonderful thing or it can be a train wreck. So, you know, remember it, it's mostly about, are we going to be loving and selfless and are we going to want to worship God and put others ahead of ourselves? Or are we going to want to be selfish brats? And depending on our attitude is probably uh, going to dictate how successful, you know, that home church is going to be. Uh, Caleb, I've taken up way too much time. Why don't you jump in? Oh, no, you're good. 
Uh, so the comments right here, it looks like my wife and her cousin are just going back and forth having their little yeah, no, family reunion. Great. Yeah, Rue, I really appreciate you and your friends just using our message board to chit chat about your day and how the kids are doing. I mean, I we was have, concerned. We have more comments than views at this point, so that's probably great. Everyone's going to see this video. They're going to be like, wow, 8,000 comments. People were really engaged. And they're going to get halfway through and it's like, hey, can you send me that banana bread recipe that, you know, you, you had out last weekend? <laughs> uh, so I must, so, I, must, I must say hi, McKenna. It's good to see that you're on here watching. Oh, yeah. All right, so, so I don't think she's watching so much as reading what your wife is writing. <laughs> I don't doubt that the two of them have the volume off at this point and they're just reading each other's comments. <laughs> okay uh no, Johnny it's just fine so and oh, josh i hope we answered your question to some degree if we did not please let us know we'll try to clarify yeah so i'm not sure if you've had any experience patrick with uh with home church aside from uh messianic jewish home church or not that's probably yeah. oh, one yeah. of the biggest yeah. exposures that i had to it would have been that but mm -hmm. one of the best some of the best memories that I have of home church is really the first church that I really got to really be a part of or go to. And I still am good friends with people that I, that I went to this home church in, and it was only about four families. And of course, then they went on from there and some of them ended up as pastors or assistant pastors in other churches, that type of thing. And I saw those churches go through splits and, you know, all kinds of problems. And I look back at those days where we were meeting in homes and we were singing together as families and um, really, really good times, you know, where it was just the simplicity of just gathering together and worshiping God. And I think that sometimes as an organization gets more and more official and it gets bigger and bigger, you can kind of lose that first love where it's just, you know, you gather together, you love each other, you know, everybody there, you really care for each other, you work together, you're excited because everybody has a part. And then as the organization grows and grows and grows, you have the differences of opinion, you, you have different things that happen over time and things become more political and you can end up with division. And so I, I, I honestly am very, very much a huge proponent of, of, small church or home church, one or the other. And I don't, I personally don't really think that um, church has to be, you know, of course, pastors are ordained and, and things kind of get passed down the line, but also a lot of tradition gets passed down the line along those ways with official church too. And some of that tradition is good. Some of it's not as a general rule, any tradition, whether it's good or not can become bad when it comes in front of God or mm -hmm. obedience to his word. So I do find that in home church, there can be an openness to really having, having uh, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, opening God's word and reading it because there's not, um, there's not necessarily a set tradition that you have to stick with. So I kind of, I have seen the possibility of them being more Bible-based, more, um, um, there's, there's very little operating expense. There's no overhead with mm -hmm. a home church. And so you really can bury each, bury each other's burdens, help each other out, do that type of thing with your money. Or, or if, you know, if you raise some money together from people's tithes or offerings, that money, a hundred percent of it can go to support missionaries or different things like that. So you, I'm actually you can afford to buy a lot of razor wire and Kool-Aid in the <laughs> home church. I mean, the, you know, just, you can buy it in bulk. It's wonderful. So keep that in mind. You know, you can buy a tract of land somewhere in the middle of Nevada where none of us have ever seen it you know, and just set up a fence, you know, and start stockpiling Bibles and, and firearms and all the things the church needs. So I, I want to make sure that everyone understands what direction we're going here. Yeah, know? no, I appreciate the input. We're down to five minutes. So that was valuable, <laughs> valuable input. Thanks for that. We on Saturdays, we just, just started a comedy podcast. <laughs> And you could go on there and quote scriptures and whatever else you wanted to on there too. Yeah. Anyways, no, I, I, I honestly think it's, it can be really, really beneficial, but then at the same time, I also see the benefit to um, the regularity and the trustworthiness of having a church that is dependable. I've seen most home churches come and go they don't seem to last. They kind of, you know, you, you stick around for a while and then, and then they move on. Things kind of break up. 
And that bothers me a little bit, I guess, in those circles. I wish that there could be enough dedication that people could really stick together. There's so much, uh, so much diversity usually in home churches that I find that sometimes people get off, you know, in the weeds with something and they end up jumping ship and, you know, they move on because they didn't really know what they were in for and they, they thought they were going somewhere else. At least if it's an established church that's been there 30 years, you know, you kind of have an idea of what the church direction is going. And the other problem is, is a lot of people that fall into home churches are people that are pretty strong willed people that don't fit in somewhere else. And so they want to fit into a home church. <laughs> yeah. So they can do whatever they want. Yeah. And, and they also and think they can is, ship. Yep. They can steer the ship in the direction that they want it. And then if it doesn't yep. go there, they get disgruntled really fast. So it is, I think it can be beneficial, but I have also seen the downside and I've been a part of five or six different home church groups that I've fellowshiped with from time to time. So mm-hmm. no, there's, there's, because there's not a lot of people, there's the, it's easier to have less accountability and it's easier to get off in the weeds. So, you know, one of the things that Paul recommended to Timothy was that, um, you know, he, he understand that his youth would be a detriment to his love of God because experience helps and um, uh, being a little older uh, gives you a little bit more wisdom and uh, people are going to be more apt to listen to you, you know, and uh, it's, it's easier to get off on something weird and crazy if there are not many people there. And if all the people there are younger and and have less experience, you know, there's not, it's nice to have one or two folks with gray hair, you know, in any group to help kind of keep you from going off into the weeds, you know, in any direction. Okay. uh, There's another question here, Caleb. So I wanted to jump in on this and ask it to you. Okay. So uh, Corey was asking, do you think that we might be missing Jesus and in all his supremacy and that our love relationship uh, with Jesus might be, you know, lacking in many of our churches? Um, So, you know, what do you think? Short answer, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So my short answer would be yes as well. And and you know, one thing Caleb was talking about. Caleb really doesn't sound like he's a big fan of a a very large church. And I can tell you, uh, I, I think I'm really in agreement with you there. And it's just it's so easy to get your focus off of Christ and onto programs and onto a million other things. And a big church and its bureaucracy is much like the federal government. There's a whole lot of can we and not a whole lot of should we. So all they do is just write a big list of, oh, what are the things we can do? And it's like, well, maybe we should ask if we should do these things. And if a church has any role in these things or, or if a sh- church should get involved in any of these things. You know, and really, we were talking about earlier that the true church would be one that comes together because they love God, that, you know, they love Jesus and they want to worship him. And I think it is easy to get off on doing a million things. I mean, even in, in the in the book of Revelation, when we read about the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the different churches, one of his biggest complaints was that they lost sight of their first love, you know, and they 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 got busy doing other stuff, but, but it wasn't loving Jesus, you know, and that was one of his greatest condemnations. So we've um, officially hit our one hour mark and there was something Ooh. else that I had um, wanted to get to, but I think I can quickly say it here. And that is there are, um, there are a lot of Christians that are going to, are going to be going to church that are listening to this podcast and your church is going to use all of these things that we just mentioned that you need to go to church for, they're going to use these things to try to convince you that you are <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> you cannot answer questions. All right. So somebody asked, somebody asked what denomination I was. And Patrick says that I am Wiccan. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not even, I don't even need and to our answer listeners that. listeners agree. They believed me. <laughs> They're like, They're like so. yeah, pretty obvious. Look at the shirt he's wearing. <laughs> Look at his head. Uh, anyways, 
So back to what I was saying, it's this can, our need for one another can be abused by a specifically heavy handed churches that try to control people and, and steer you into believing that your salvation comes through them rather than through Christ. And so obviously we need each other. And I think Patrick and I are big advocates for, you know, having the, the interaction that we have in church, the accountability, realizing that nine out of 10 people that don't go to church and have all these good scriptural reasons for why they're not going to go to church. Most of you are probably living in sin and you don't want the accountability because if you go to church, somebody else is going to call you out on it and you don't want that. And so a lot of people that's that they come up with every other reason in the book to show why they're not going to go to church. And really there's probably things that are, there's things in, in all of us that are off in our lives. And when we're around other people that are walking with God, those things tend to come to light. And so if we're just going to hide out from God being able to deal with the issues in our life where we need to be changed and molded and shaped to be more like him because we're unwilling to have interaction with other people, that's the wrong reasons. But also don't let it be abused in the other way, mm-hmm. thinking that um, that just because you're a part of a great church and that, and that they convince you that because you're a part of this church that somehow your salvation comes through that. It does not. Your salvation comes through Jesus, Jesus alone. And a lot of churches are going to try to abuse this idea of corporate salvation through the body of Christ, where you cannot, you cannot have Jesus except for we, you know, write you the prescription for Jesus. Yeah. And, and remember, Jesus settled that when he died on the cross. He, he made it very clear that there were no priests anymore. Okay. He, he made it clear that you don't go to the priest and bring them the sacrifice and they perform the sacrifice and they burn the incense and they do it all for you. No, no, no. Nowadays, we are the priests. Jesus said that. Peter said that. Okay. Saved people are kings and priests, which means there's direct access to God. We don't need to get to God through the church we go to, through the pastor that we go to, okay, through any podcast of a couple of Craigslist level morons that are talking about the Bible every Friday night. Speak for yourself, man. (laughs) Okay. You know, we have direct access to God. All we need Um, is to pray and the creator of the universe hears us and wants to hear us. And if we have a Bible, that's even better uh, because we can learn everything that we need through those two means. You you certainly don't need, you know, uh, that priesthood anymore. And and unfortunately, that's the same trick the devil's been playing on people, you know, for thousands of years. He's been telling them the same lie that you can only get to God through a system, you know, that really he set up. Yeah, so that's uh, um, Patrick misquoted. He said that I was a Craigslist level <laughs> Christian idiot. <laughs> so I just want to clar- clarify that somebody somebody else asked what denomination I am. So I'm non denominational. I read Christians for Dummies, and then mm-hmm. I started a podcast. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and and keep in mind the Christians for Dummies he was reading. It was written in Spanish, but it had a lot of pictures. So I think Caleb did fine figuring it out. He he got through that book a couple of months ago, and and here we are. So Caleb, if you had to, <clears throat> if you had to, like like for me, I was I was you know raised Catholic, and then when I got saved. I ended up in what I would call a fundamental Baptist church, you know, and that that's really where I've associated most of my beliefs as far as what would close most closely describe my beliefs for you. Uh, you were raised in, in what we would call more. Uh, well, let me, why don't you tell it instead of me trying to recount yeah. you know, your history? So my, my dad, my dad grew up Jehovah's witness. My mom was Mormon and mm-hmm. they were born again. Yeah. <laughs> In a, in a Pentecostal church. Um, so, and it was kind of an offshoot from the United Pentecostal church. And then my dad and mom, were, they were there for, I don't know, six, eight years. My dad left somewhere along the line. My mom stayed. Um, and that church would kind of consider themselves more like a Ana, Anabaptist along the lines of Anabaptist, but the they come from the Pentecostal background. So they are self-sufficient farm with horses, that type of thing, you know, kind of down to, down to the earth, basic people. And so that's the background that I came from. And then my parents went from that to no church. You know, we grew up just doing home church. Um, so it's kind of, you know, 
I used to go to the mall and hand out Bibles and people would ask, wait, what church are you, what church are you from? Because I, we didn't, we weren't a part of a church. So when I, I would teach music lessons, I'd had money that I'd set aside and I wanted to tie that money, but I started supporting missionaries and they would take that money and go take a trip down to the beach and, you know, hand out a few tracks in, you know, Cuba or wherever they went. And Hawaii. I found out I was, yeah, I found out I was basically, you know, funding somebody's vacation. And then they handed out a few tracks while they were at it. And I was like, well, this, I'll just go buy the Bibles and hand them out myself. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So I would meet people and they'd be like, well, what church are you from? Or, you know, obviously uh, you're trying to promote, you're pr- trying to promote your church. And that was one of the things that I felt like God was able to utilize with me is I really didn't have an agenda of growing my church or growing um, some denomination because I was just handing out Bibles because I wanted people to know Jesus. And so kind of, some people kind of let their guard down when they found out I wasn't associated with any church. I wasn't trying to promote myself. I wasn't giving them my phone number. I was just handing them a Bible and saying, go home and read it. Mm-hmm. And that, that is one of the things that I was like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. Well, then um, I moved to Texas and um, I attended a Mennonite church for a while. And then my wife and I were one of a few couples um, that started a, a Rosewood Bible Chapel is the church that we go to now. And so we were, uh, my wife and I were the only people in, originally in the church. I mean, it was only a few of us to start with, but we were the only ones that hadn't come from a Mennonite background. Everyone else was Mennonite. So at the, t- at the time we were, um, I'd say 33% non-denominational, 66% uh mennonite now this last sunday we had i think 70 people at our church i'm thinking wow it's time it's time for us to branch out and plant another church because it's getting too big i'm really i'm really uh, the minority now uh, but anyway so that's the background that we come from is uh, it's kind of this mixed mixed bag at our church there's people from here people from there mostly mennonite at our church but um, I would I would still consider myself to be non-denominational, um, even though I go to a church that's predominantly former Mennonites, whatever. Um, and so I and of course, I have no problem with Mennonites, but the same goes for pretty much any denomination out there. I'm leery of getting caught up following after a man, especially a denomination that names himself after a man. It doesn't matter how good the man was. If mm-hmm. your group names herself mm-hmm. after a man, I kind of cringe at that a little bit because we're supposed to be followers of Christ. That really is mm-hmm. what defines me as a Christian as I'm a follower of Christ. And so I would so say to anyone, like my church, because I'm a follower, uh, we named ourselves after John the Baptist. No, I didn't say anything about your who, church. Who Jesus said was the greatest man among men. Is that no, that's fine. Is that Your church is saying? the greatest. Yeah, no, that's great. It's good to know that you go to the greatest church. That's that is the biggest problem though with any church is when you get to the point that 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 denomination is the only sure. denomination or the best the denomination. The only one. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> so no, I have I've gone to Patrick's church. I have no problem with his church. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that's you know that's that. I guess um, denominationally, I would say 100. I'm a follower of Christ and nobody else. Um, and I would also say, uh, Patrick and I are sitting here advocating that you go back to church on Sunday and you listen to your pastor preach, even though we believe your pastor is probably dead wrong on half of what he says. And we're dead wrong on half of what we say. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And just for the record, I didn't put the event up yet, but we just made our list of the next eight events. And there's actually one coming up, which is what do you do when you know your pastor is dead wrong? That's actually the title of one of the, one of the ones we're going to do. So that, I think that one should be exciting. Caleb, we are almost at a minute 10. So I think we should sign off and let everyone have their weekend. Uh, any last words? No, I think that, I think that pretty much does it. Go back to church. Okay, that sounds good, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you next week. Shabbat Shalom. I must.